and welcome to the latest Funds Farm podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, your host, Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. As ever, on the podcast, we have a fund manager interview. For this episode, it is Cormac Weldon, fund manager of the Artemis US Smaller Companies Fund, which is one of Interactive Investor's Super 60 fund choices. At the end of the podcast, we have our fund spotlight feature, but firstly, I'm joined by Tom Bailey, ETFs editor at Interactive Investor, to chat through a couple of fund and investment trust news pieces. So the first piece me and Tom are going to chat through is a piece that I recently wrote. I looked at how the 39 fund sectors had performed since the COVID-19 market sell-off. Of course, if you cast your mind back to this time a year ago, Stock markets were highly volatile uh, in recording steep falls in response to COVID-19 becoming a global pandemic. Um, and just to put some figures on that, um, in, the, in the first quarter of 2020, the FTSE All Share Index lost just over 25%, while the MSCI Global Index gave up just under 16%. And it didn't really matter what type of fund or investment trust that you owned, the chances are over that period, it will have slumped into the red. On a much brighter note, since the end of March onwards, markets have been in recovery mode. And this um, serves as a reminder that holding your nerve and thinking long term are two of the key ingredients of successful investing. But in terms of the fund sectors um, over the past year, the majority have now produced a a positive return. The three top performing um, fund sectors since the start of the sell-off, which was the 21st of February uh, 2020, have been China Greater China, Technology and Asia Pacific. There's no real surprises there, are there, Tom? Yeah, so as you say, there's been great performance on the China Greater China sector as well as Asia Pacific. So uh, there's a few things here going on. Um, first, there's the Chinese tech companies like Alibaba and Tencent, and they've done great broadly, and uh, most most active funds in the in the China sector will hold those overweight. Beyond that, when you go beyond mainland China to Greater China and also Asia Pacific, you've seen some of the kind of big tech hardware companies do very well, like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing and South Korea's Samsung. And so obviously many funds in, in those sectors will be overweight, these, these two companies and, and similar. And it kind of feeds into a broad point that Asian economies are, are, are very manufacturing heavy. Even the advanced Asian economies such as South Korea and Taiwan, is, you know, it's just more, more advanced manufacturing. While we in uh, Europe and, and North America have, have not been able to spend money on, on domestic services, we've been able to keep buying electronics. And so demand has, has remained strong for electronics and the companies that help produce them, the, the ones I mentioned just before, Samsung, TSMC and stuff. And then, and then beyond that, there's the domestic performance of China and Asia-Pacific economies. They've just done so much better containing the virus, so they haven't been subject to these sort of rolling lockdowns that we have um, in the UK and Europe. Then, of course, there's the um, tech sector funds, which, you know, American tech companies have contributed a lot to the performance of, um, with the average fund returning over 40%. That, that performance has started to come off a little now, though, and you can, you can see this kind of uh, in the markets with kind of uh, lots of the kind of in, in the S&P and, and the Nasdaq struggling over the past week or two. And, and partly that, you know, can, can be this kind of idea of a, a tech bubble form and investors getting wary, but more importantly, there's this fear of an uptick in inflation, which you can see in, in the bond markets. And obviously, that's not necessarily good for these kind of very growthy tech stocks. 
Yeah, that's true, Tom. There has been some very interesting developments in the markets over the past uh, couple of weeks, which feed into the much talk about market rotation away from growth stocks and instead towards value stocks. There have been some signs of a rotation starting to take place since the vaccine developments were announced in November, but I think you would be unwise to bet the house on either value or growth, which was a point made by Ian Cowie, who is a, one of Interactive Investors' um, columnists. In terms of Interactive Investors' customers, the, the signs are that they're not giving up on growth. Scottish Mortgage was once again the most popular investment trust in February, and Allianz Technology and Polar Capital Technology were also in the top 10 most popular investment trusts. Yeah, I noticed Polar Capital Technology was, was a new entrant to the top 10 most bought list, uh, which, which I thought was interesting. I guess this is because of the discount it's on right now. Yes, I think that has a lot to do with it. I write an investment trust a bargain hunter column and I, I penned a piece in early February pointing out that uh, Polar Capital Technology was trading on a wider than usual discount. And at the time, um, one analyst put it to me that the discount was mainly down to the stronger performance of its main competitor, Allianz Technology. But by the end of February, following the tech sell-off that you mentioned over the past couple of weeks, both technology trusts were trading on sizable discounts. Um, and also Scotch Mortgage um, slipped onto a discount. But over the past couple of days, all of the three trusts I've just mentioned have seen their share prices rise. So the chances are those discounts will not be as high as they were at the end of February. Sticking with investment trusts, Tom recently wrote a piece on the investment trust to have the potential to make investors an ISA millionaire. Could you quickly run through that? Yeah, so the AIC, they, they do this every year. Basically, they, they work out the full amount you could have put into an ISA um, based on the specific limits for each year, because obviously it kind of changes, um, it's changed over the years, uh, going all the way back to 1999 when ISA was first launched. So they worked out that that would equal um, having saved a, a just under a quarter million pounds. Um, then they worked out how much money you'd have uh, if each year you'd place your max amount in, in one investment trust and reinvested the dividends and, and left it to see, you know, what happened over time. I mean, the, the figures do provide plenty of food for thought, and I can see why the AIC crunches the data each year, as it does show the power of um, long-term investing. But in practice, I think there would be hardly anyone who has followed the approach of investing in just one investment trust with the full ISA allowance each year. I also don't think it's a very sensible strategy, especially for um, investors that have uh, large sums. It is instead better to diversify. And um, one way to do that is by holding a mixture of investment trusts and also funds. Yeah, definitely. The, the AIC uh, makes this clear kind of when, when they do the figures that it's kind of it is for illustrative purposes. And, and it, it is a fun kind of way to just to measure long-term performance of certain trusts. So in terms of results, uh, so a total of 28 investment trusts would have left you with a, a pot of over a million pounds today. So making you a so-called ISA millionaire. Obviously, if you want to see the full list, you can go on to ii.co.uk. But unsurprisingly, top of the list was Scottish Mortgage, which would have left you with um, a pot of over two and a half million. Uh, but again, as you said, it's not really advisable to put all your money in one trust like this. But if anyone has done that with Scottish Mortgage or any other trusts on the list, do write in and let us know.
For the next part of the podcast, I'm joined by Cormac Weldon, Fund Manager of the Artemis US Smaller Companies Fund, which is one of Interactive Investors' Super 60 choices. Cormac, welcome to the podcast. The fund has an investment universe of more than 2,000 US smaller companies to choose from. So how do you narrow that down to hold around 60 names? In terms of one initial cut at uh, reducing the the what we, uh, the number of companies we looked at is there are, there are a lot of small companies that are not very successful uh, that are uh, consistently loss making have uh, weak balance sheets uh, and are are on the wrong side of of innovation within the economy so we we don't go hunting around in in uh, essentially it could be described as as a garbage bin looking for great ideas. Um, because technological change is absolutely um, accelerating uh, and and can have a a serious impact on smaller companies that don't have the scale uh, to compete uh, against their their larger brethren. Uh, After that, the uh, key factors are are the experience of our analysts. Uh, We've got seven analysts plus myself hunting in the market constantly uh, for opportunities. Uh, And it's really uh, our and knowledge, our longevity in, in, in investing in markets, our longevity covering a particular sector, which is the biggest help. It enables you to focus in on the companies where there are opportunity, which, uh, which a screen or a spreadsheet uh, can't really do. Uh, nothing uh, is better than the individual knowledge of somebody experienced in the sector. Uh, and it's that which we rely on. You mentioned there about um, looking at sectors. Indeed, part of your um, investment process is to um, look for thematic trends. Could you run through a couple of trends that you're seeking to profit from at the moment? One uh, simply uh, would be uh, the recovery in housing. Uh, we've got a, uh, and, and really the, the most significant trends at the moment that are, are predominating are those relating to the economy. Interest rates are extremely low. Uh, in addition, we've had a group of people, uh, broadly described as millennials, who have delayed buying a first home for for a number of reasons, and that are now increasingly able to afford homes because they've got a number of years of work under the belt, they've uh, they've got a a credit track record that enables them to borrow money. So so one one of the simplest trends is to avail of low interest rates uh, as regards the impact on, on, on housing. Uh, which is which is very positive. Uh, so we've got a couple of stocks, stocks that uh, like Floor and Decor, which sells flooring uh, for houses, uh, which will benefit from an uplift in demand, N- not just of new homes, which is actually quite a small part of the market, but people having more money to spend on doing up their homes as well. Uh, so so that that's one very clear theme. I think the other key theme uh, of today uh, is broadly speaking, the opening theme, uh, which really is the opening of the economy uh, versus many parts of the economy being closed, a lot of the consumer-facing companies uh, being closed um, uh, for, uh, not not exclusively, not all of the time, but for the past um, uh, year or so. So so as we look at what consumers might do in the the future, um, you know, going out and eating, um, yes, we've all got used to ordering food in, uh, but you know, going out and eating is um, 
uh, is, is something we'd expect people to do. It, it's a relatively affordable thing, and, and we would expect people to want to do that, uh, having been become maybe a little bit jaded of ordering in uh, constantly. So we, you know, we we own a restaurant company, Brinker International, affordable, uh, an, an affordable treat, as it were. So there's a number of of companies that we own and have in the portfolio that will benefit from that return normalization of, of consumer demand uh, uh, within the economy. And did you own a lot of those companies prior to the pandemic or did, you, did the COVID-19 pandemic make you reassess the portfolio and direct the portfolio towards businesses that would potentially benefit from the pandemic and also um, move money away from potentially businesses and sectors that um, are negatively impacted by the pandemic? Yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting question. We definitely um, feel it's right to have made uh, changes within the portfolio. Uh, if we if we just step back a bit to this day a year ago and what we were thinking, uh, you know, we were just started to see COVID, but really, you know, the economy had been growing at a at a nice rate, not very high, um, but at, at at a decent rate with positive economic growth, uh, and our. Portfolios were really positioned away from companies that really need an economic lift to do well. As we went into the recession caused by COVID, uh, performance was positive, but but we knew we needed to make changes because uh, after every recession comes a recovery. Uh, and that's what we needed to invest in within the portfolio. So, so absolutely, uh, we, we um, uh, de-emphasized uh, some of those very high quality companies, but but certainly companies that the market already knew were high quality that had already performed well uh, and and moved towards uh, companies that would benefit disproportionately from the recovering economy. W- one simple example would be where, where, uh, within banks. Going into a recession, you don't typically want to own banks because bad debts rise uh, and that's a, that's a penalty to their earnings. However, as you come out of the recession, invariably, and we believe it's true today, banks have over-reserved for problems, that the problems are not going to be as big as they thought they were. So so that will be a support to earnings over the next 18 months or so, as will a, a resumption of normal consumer demand. People will be happier to borrow money as they retain their job, as their incomes grow, uh, and so, therefore, uh, banks would be a sector where we've is significantly increased our ex, uh, our holdings within the fund because we think they'll benefit from that recovery. And as you invest in U.S. smaller companies, the fund is geared into U.S. domestic growth. So, how would you assess the U.S. economy at present? Are you an optimist, or are you instead a pessimist? We're, we're very much in in the optimistic camp. Uh, with regards to the U.S. economy for, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, it, this has been an unusual, the, the, the way in which authorities have have dealt with this slowdown, the uh, COVID, the recession that we had, uh, the furlough of in, furloughing of employees ha- has been to uh, increase benefits uh, towards uh, the employed, uh, the unemployed and indeed the employed. Um, so for instance, we're uh, uh, expect a bill from the Biden government, which will pay up to fourteen hundred dollars uh, to uh, to consumers um, uh, to compensate uh, for loss of income, uh, and for many people who were who lost their jobs, unemployment benefits that they've received over the past year, 
uh, have been an, a pay rise. So uh, as we sit here today, uh, looking at the potential for the US economy, we think that potential is very strong. You've got a lot of stimulus, the government helping out uh, until the economy takes over. And we think the economy is in the process of taking over now. And, and then you've also got companies with a lot of cash in their balance sheet. And we think pent up uh, uh, demand for capital investment in the economy. So I've already talked about how housing is, is, is very well positioned with low interest rates. So we're, we're very much in, in the optimistic camp. And, and I guess the final part of that optimism is based on the vaccines. Uh, we, we've got a number of them uh, approved within the US now. We've got the Biden government aggressively uh, rolling out uh, those vaccines into the population. So we, we would have thought by by summertime, um, it's, it's possible the US economy will be back uh, functioning um, at, at a nice rate of growth uh, from which, as you, as you observed, domestically focused companies will benefit disproportionately. Well, hopefully that will be the case and um, hopefully that'll be the case also in the, the UK and um, other parts of the world. And finally, it remains early days in Joe Biden's presidency. How do you think he has fared so far? I mean, as you, as you say, it's, it's relatively early days. That, that being said, uh, I, I think he's acted very positively or pro progressively uh, with regards to the economy. Uh, so first of all, he, he made it clear he was not going to replace uh, Jay Powell, the head of the Federal Reserves uh, of the Reserve, who, who is very supportive of, of the economy with low interest rates. Uh, then he appointed uh, Janet Yellen as his Treasury Secretary. Again, another very economically positive appointment. Um, she uh, understands uh, that inflation has, has not reared its head for the past 10 years, and that, that to uh, stimulate the economy needs uh, quite a degree of stimulus, uh, stimulus initially. Uh, and to under-egg that stimulus would be the mistake rather than to over-egg it. So, so, so from that point of view, um, um, his reassurance around uh, the economy is very positive. Uh, and then finally, there's the obviously the stimulus bill, which he's uh, about, we believe, uh, to get through Congress, uh, which will really be the final, uh, final uh, help in bridging the gap between a, 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 an economy impacted by a coronavirus to one let much less impacted by it. So we just need support for employees for these uh, next few months uh, until you know vaccination has happened and uh, demand is returning to normal. So I'd say from that point of view, it's been positive. In, in addition, it's, it's been positive in ways that we expected. Um, he has reached out to allies rather than, than uh, antagonize them. And I think also importantly, has maintained the um, somewhat um, skeptical view of China uh, and, and is certainly not completely rolling over in the face of, of, of uh, what could be argued to be uh, Chinese uh, aggression. So, so I, I, I think he's done very well. I think the next step after this, giving away money is, is an easy way to become popular. The next step after this is uh, an infrastructure bill. It'll be interesting to see how the makeup of that bill um, and, and whether he, indeed he'll be able to get one through Congress. Uh, so I would say so far so good uh, from, uh, from Biden's point of view.
latest on Spotlight, it is the turn of Liberty Godfrey, who is an analyst at Interactive Investor. Liberty is going to be running through one of Interactive Investor's ACE 40 choices. So firstly, what have you chosen and how does the investment trust that you've picked invest? So I've chosen Sincona Trust. And Sincona aim to achieve a superior long-term capital appreciation and have a target of an annualized return of 15% per annum. They invest within life science companies in innovative areas of cell and gene therapy. Their strategy is to found, build and fund companies in order to turn exceptional science into a dynamic portfolio. The team conduct an extensive due diligence process of nine to 12 months before founding a company, starting with the science and academics and following this with a strategic investment plan and strategy. And where is the trust currently investing? Could you give us a flavour of some of the stock examples and sectors that the trust is favouring? Uh, yeah, so Sincona is unconstrained by sector and geography. However, it does have a bias to the UK as this is where the team find the most opportunity and strong research base. The current portfolio is 10 companies within cell and gene therapy and Sincona typically own around 70 to 80% of companies at the point of initial investment, with the rest typically owned by academics and option schemes for managers. Some of their most significant investments include Freeline, which is a clinical stage gene therapy company based in the UK and Germany, uh, Autolus, which is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focusing on the development of cell therapies, and Achilles, which is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company which develop innovative cancer immunotherapies. And why do we think this trust stands out from the crowd? So. The trust features on the ACE 40 as a specialist adventurous option, and it falls within the ACE embraces category, meaning the trust adopts a targeted approach to make a positive impact. The expertise and experience of the team is what gives Sincona its competitive edge, and their skills cover scientific, operational and commercial expertise. As well as this, the trust invests within a unique area of the market within innovative areas of cell and gene therapy. Also, its technical type of investment and extensive due diligence process makes the trust stand out. And finally, the trust does tend to trade at a high premium. What's our view on that? Yes, uh, well, in most cases, it's not prudent to buy an investment trust on such a high premium. We feel that Sincona is a special case, given the nature of its portfolio in backing early stage companies that are hard to value. On a long-term view, we regard the value of the underlying investments as conservative, which is why we are happy to recommend the trust on such a high premium. It certainly is a unique trust, and as well as the investment attractions, it's great to see capital being given to life science companies that are aiming to bring transformational treatments to patients. That's all for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you to all my guests. Please like and subscribe. And of course, you can find lots more investment insights and ideas at ii.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.